Welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 437. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Wrapping up H.P. Lovecraft Month this week with a real beaut. I love this story because it really shows off just how much you can do with Lovecraft's mythos. You can really run with the unsettling nature behind a lot of his lore, like our first story did this month, with the black goat with a thousand young. Or you can set things up as a total counterpoint to anything and everything old HP ever wrote, using a lot of the exact same story elements, like our story does this week. Of all Lovecraft's pantheon of horrifying, unspeakable this, that, and whoever, uh, whomever, I've always had a special place in my heart for the Mego. The Mego, you see, for those of you unfamiliar with stories like Whisper in the Darkness, are large, pinkish, fungoid, crustacean-like entities with, quote, convoluted ellipsoids for heads. They possess membranous bat-like wings because, of course they do, which are generally used to fly through the ether of outer space. The big thing about the Mego is their penchant for removing living brains to study them and transport them around, placing them in brain cylinders that allow the subjects to see, hear, speak, and suffer indefinitely till basically the end of time, or until the Mego otherwise stop paying their electricity bills. And the Mego are generally pretty responsible when it comes to keeping up with their short-term liquidity. Maybe it's because I love the idea that bat wings are maybe the only real thing keeping crabs from ever reaching the stars, or maybe it's because I love that Lovecraft can't even let an ellipsoid go by without making it convoluted. I don't know, but I've definitely thought about the pros and cons of Amigo brain abduction before, and I'd be lying if I said I wasn't still kind of on the fence about it. The story speaks to me, and I hope you enjoy it too. We of course bring you this week The Shallow One by Matthew Sanborn Smith. Matthew Sanborn Smith, or Matthew Sunburn Smith, as my autocorrect insists on calling him, is a writer of weird science fiction. His fictions appeared at Tor.com, Apex Magazine, Cheezine, Illiterate, among others, including the Drabblecast. He's a member of the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America, and has a great podcast and blog called Beware the Hairy Mango, where you can get more of his fantastic stories and antics on the reg. Follow him or unfollow him, but mostly just follow him at twitter.com slash upwithgravity. This story is a commissioned Drabblecast original. Stick around, as usual, directly after the story this week for a recorded author's note from Matthew himself, going further in depth with background and insight about the tale. So without further ado, we bring you The Shallow One by Matthew Sunburn Smith. The Shallow One, by Matthew Sanborn Smith. One, Pod People. I first met Madeline at the local drugstore, IBS, in the digestive aids aisle. We were both buying constipation products when our hands touched. Electricity passed between us, though it may have just been the carpeting. My drone quivered on my shoulder, begging permission to snap a pic. Sorry, I said. Be my guest, giving her the right of way to a Senapod laxative brand called Full Bore. 
It's not urgent. <laughs> I'm just trying to ease back on my attachment to my body, working on projecting my mind beyond the confines of this damnable skull, that sort of thing. I wrapped my knuckles on the side of my head, emphasizing its damnability. Oh, sure, yeah, I totally get that, she said. Me, I kind of overdid it on the fondue the other night. Six of one, half dozen of the other. I don't really think our reasons are equivalent. No, I meant that's how much fondue I had. As she spoke, I pictured the shot in my head. Her face framed by curls dark as the abyss. The purple billows of adult diaper packages off her right shoulder. The bright green cylinders of glycerin suppositories by her left. My followers were going to go mad for her. Okay, what's this thing about? She pointed to the spherical red copter perched on my shoulder. Oh, that's my drone. I post my whole life online. It does photos, videos, and whatnot. I call it Drone Loke. Her blank expression reminded me, since no one got the reference anyway, I could have gone with my first instinct and named it Drona Barrett. Um, speaking of that, I said, would you mind if I took a photo of you for my Winstagram? It's a new app where people share too much information. Uh, okay, but only if you make me a star. Hold on, I gotta show off my bloat belly. She dropped her sweatpants waistband a couple inches and lifted her shirt a bit before posing with the bottle of full bore like a game show presenter. None of this was helping me detach from my body. I showed her my phone with Drone Loke's pic of her before I posted it. She grabbed the phone and added, hashtag, she really softens my stool. Damn, someone in real life finally understood me. I think I'm in love, I said. Yeah, you are. She spun and walked backwards slowly as she spoke, drawing me deeper into the anti-fungal aisle. It was an omen I couldn't read at the time. I'm Jad, by the way. Nice to meet you. I'm Madeline. Hey, Jaddy and Maddie. Um, no, Madeline and Jad. Uh, yeah, or we could do that. Um, you want to go for lunch? I mean, uh, like, the day after tomorrow or something? After the storm? She asked, shaking the Cenopod bottle. Uh, yeah, I know a great vegan place, high in fiber. Sure, she said. Really? No one outside of the internet has ever said sure to me. Virtual hugs outnumbered the real ones several thousand to one. Why not, Madeline said. I mean, we're probably all going to be eaten by those aliens soon. Living and laughing till we're dying and crying, right? If I didn't think I'd eat it myself, I'd carry some of that fondue with me all the time. Clog those bastards up good. 2. The Kenner Out of Space So, that bit about projecting my mind beyond the confines of my skull? That was no joke. I was hard at work leaving my body behind, uploading myself to the whole wide world thought by thought, largely by way of social media. Somewhere in the wilds of Indiana, my tiny server farm, well, more of a server victory garden, really was collecting my posts and my comments, my photos and videos, and feeding them to a neural network which was trying to become me as quickly as possible. And those aliens Madeline worried about were a key part of my plan. See, I have an in with them, having interviewed a couple of the aliens a few weeks back. They sought me out, thank you very much. I'm kind of a thing, I guess you could say. And that cross-species conversation only pushed my numbers higher, snagging me some TV time and lifting me from six digits to seven. 
I earned every one of those eyeballs and ear balls by not running from them or screaming till my throat exploded. I mean, picture the unholy spawn of a lobster and a wasp and a head fuzzy with so many antennae it could see in radio. I know, because they told me I looked like Bruno Mars. And the stench. No wonder they spent so much time in the empty void between worlds. In space, no one can smell you stink. They called themselves the Wego, stressing they were a lot more chill than their cousin race, the Mego, whoever they were. You got these Mego over here. They're selfish, and they're all about their secrets, they told me. Or at least one of them did, whom I named Shelly. The other one quietly stayed back a step to Shelly's left, like a hype man who was about to get fired. They'd settled into an 18th-story penthouse, making it their own. Beds of soil had replaced the original beds of mattress. Shelves of books lined the walls, all written in Arabic, which seemed strange. And there were crystals mounted everywhere. Shelley continued, animating her pinchers like puppets. You're always gonna find Mego whispering in the darkness, but us, <laughs> if we got something to say to you, we'll come right out and say it to your face, in broad daylight, and even then we'll probably just tell you that you're a pretty good guy. Another major difference is our support of unions. Servitors of the Outer Gods Local 619, yo! <laughs> shouted the suddenly excited hype man. They loved my names for them, and loved our concept of naming ourselves even more. For millennia, they lived the struggle of, Hey, you! No, not you, that one! No, you over there! And they felt like they owed me big time for the name thing, and I already knew what I was going to ask them for in exchange. That's what I'm talking about, continued Shelley. We support activism at the mycelium level. Think galactically, act globally. About the only things we share with Amigo are our love for travel, reading, and canning. Can it up, shouted the hype man. Hell yeah! If the Migo were worse, I wanted no part of them. I had made enough trouble overcoming my revulsion to talking fungi with pink exoskeletons, no matter how sincere they seemed. There's a screenshot from my interview making the rounds online, from a rare moment when Shelley's wings were at half-mast and you could get a decent look at the bookshelf behind her. It was only after the interview went live that I learned each of us saw the book titles in our first language. So the Wego didn't write in Arabic, and were not as interesting as I thought. Faced out on that shelf sat a treatise on the delight of eating candy wafers called the Necronomicon. But that wasn't the most controversial book there, even if those things are like eating chalk. To the left of it, one of the spines clearly reads, To Preserve Man. Now, does that mean the Wego are trying to save us from our own destruction, or are they trying to save us for some Sunday dinner next winter? And what about women? Some people claimed it wasn't so bad because a canning book wasn't technically a cookbook, but cooking was involved, making it equally as uncomfortable for the human participants. I didn't really think the aliens were going to eat us, but if I had to convince Madeline of that, she wouldn't be having lunch with me the day after tomorrow. 3. Cool Pear Look, I'm not just another pretty face at the opposite end of a spastic colon, Madeline said, tearing into her vegan steak. I own an ice cream parlor. Maybe you've heard of it? The Ice Cream Request of Unknown Kadath? Whoops, uh, am I allowed to talk about this in here? Yeah, I think you are, even though no one uses the word parlor anymore. I took a bite of my vegan pork chops. The best thing about them was you could eat the bones. Lunchtime for Madeline was 10 a.m., 
Lucky for us, the ancient hippies who ran this place were up at four and ready to veg. This was still the middle of the night to me, and I was not at my best. But Madeline apparently had ice cream in desperate need of a good scooping right after we were done here. I still use the word parlor, she said, and I have a master's in creameryism. Anyways, outside of that, when I'm not at my shop or sitting on my toilet, I like to run 5Ms. 5Ms? Yeah, I don't have time for 5Ks. I'm running a business. Hey, isn't this supposed to come with a side of carrots or something? Not here, I'm afraid. Any vegetables have to be in fake meat form, hence the name. I pointed to the green and orange counter behind me. The logo on the front read, The Chive Turkey. I toasted her with a warm glass of vegan venison juice to prove my point. But not before Drone Loke took pics, of course. Are you ever not online? She asked. God, I hope not, I said, posting a poll on whether I should finish up the meal with the chocolate-frosted faux tuna or the candied fake squirrel tails. I understand you've got a business to run, but a little bit of privacy is good sometimes, too, don't you think? Oh, no. I'm on the verge of transcending my physical form here. Private thoughts will not do. But you can't really transcend anything. At best, you're making an outside simulation that thinks it's you. You're still going to be stuck in there, she said, pointing at my head. I nodded while trying to nonchalantly eject a bit of vegetable gristle into my napkin. I didn't want to know why that wasn't edible. That's an obstacle, sure. Like Star Trek transporters. Ensign Madeline gets disintegrated on the ship, then a duplicate Ensign Madeline is constructed on the planet below. As far as the Madeline on the planet is concerned, she is her, and has always been. But when you transfer to your neural net, you're not disintegrating yourself. Madeline froze with her fork hanging from her mouth. You're not disintegrating yourself, are you? Not exactly. The Migo can put a human brain in a jar and keep it alive, and the Wego say their tech is even better. You are serious. Are you serious? Because you're freaking me out right now. No, it's, it's fine. Listen, I'm asking them to put my hippocampus in a jar. That's where the memories happen. No more memories, no more me. If my new self ever changed its mind, they could always smush my brain back together. I assume. I could see Madeline trying to make the word start up in her face for a few seconds, but not quite getting there. Then she said, I think I'm going to go now. I couldn't argue. I went to my default mode, which meant plugging myself when I really wanted to burst into tears and shout, Oh God, don't leave me. Hey, I'm, I'm sorry you have to go, but you should check out my new Licklock channel, at SadBadJad. Uh, it's where people post videos of themselves dancing while their tongues are stuck to frozen metal. I swear it's a lot of fun. Like I said, I was not at my best. Madeline's response was the door closing behind her. Still, it was the best date I'd had all year. 4. With a Name Like Suckers Within a few weeks, Neuralnet Jad was posting up a storm and getting better shots with Drone Loke than I could ever. Sure, the new selfies were kind of weird, a computer server wearing a Noah's Arkham baseball cap, a computer server with a ginormous bean burrito, that sort of thing, but my numbers were going up, up, up. That only proved the human me was useless. Time to check out. Shelley insisted the procedure didn't require an anesthetic. Totally painless, brother, Hype Man shouted. Well, they were the advanced race. Still, I had to question their methods when they had me climb into a portable glass chamber in their hotel suite. Relax, sweet lobes, this is just a step one, Shelley said. Okay. 
Here, something to read during the procedure. Hope you like horror. The title was Misophagic Nightmare, My Mother, My Pizza Topping. How am I supposed to... The two of them lifted a large disc with holes punched into it, shimmied over, then lowered it on top of the glass chamber I was in. A clockwise spin and it was screwed on tightly. Shelley dusted her pinchers. And that was step two. Congratulations, my friend. You came through it like a thrice-damned champ. Wait, what? Uh, we're done. You said you were going to put my hippocampus in a jar. And so we have... Hype Man held up a mirror from the bathroom to show me my hippocampus, but I couldn't see it with all my head in the way. I meant my hippocampus and only my hippocampus. Oh, we don't do that. What are you, crazy? That would kill you. You told me your technology was even better than the Migos. Well, it is. How is this better? Because we didn't glop out a wad of your brain and stick it in a jar, duh. This is largely the opposite of what I wanted, so could you just let me out now? Why don't you just cool it down a bit there, Mr. No Thanks? I feel like you're itching to sock me in the puss. I... what? Look, I swear I'm not about puss socking or whatever. It's just that when you do it like this, it isn't insidious alien super science anymore. It's just kidnapping. I was such a sucker. I'd move into Cthulhu's goatee if I hadn't already signed the lease on this jar. Wait a minute, have you got any alien friends who can remove my hippocampus? They conferred. You're in luck. Hype here thinks the great race of Yith are in town. They do, like, mind transfers through time and space and that kind of crap. That could work. You think they can transfer my mind into a computer server? You got me, pal. We'll hunt them down and see if they're even interested. Ah, all right. In the meantime, could you please let me out of this jar? Sure, but what's wrong with the jar? Do you know how much jelly you have to buy from those warehouse clubs to get a jar this big? I waved my arms around, indicating the volume in the jar. Uh, this much? Who even eats this much jelly? Oh, you should see the size of our toast! <laughs> Hype Man said. Five. We go for ice cream. They found out where the Yithians were. I calmed down, but then they couldn't get the lid off the jar. I got worked up again. Don't you have one of those grippy jar-opening things? I asked. Well, yeah, back on Pluto, but we didn't, we didn't think we'd be having to open up any jars here. Hold up, hold up, Hype Man said. <clears throat> the great race of Yith are going to beam your damn fears right out of your head anyways. We don't need to open the jar. All we've got to do is go down and meet them. So they can transfer minds through time and space, but can't get to me up here. I'm just telling you what they said. Well, I've got a bad feeling about this. As you should, Shelley said, waggling her antenna like someone was blow-drying a Chia Pet. Because we don't have a hand truck. Wrap your arms around your head. You're gonna feel a slight, I believe as the French would say, discomfort. We? We're going for ice cream. Wait, what? With a synchronized shove, they knocked my jar on its side, rolled me into the service elevator, then out of the building and down the street. Definitely the most humiliating thing I'd ever done, and I once ate someone else's earwax to get a cotton swab sponsorship. I couldn't get out of this body fast enough. Shelly, I shouted over the ever-present rattle of glass on concrete. Please tell me we're not going to the ice cream request of Unknown Kadoth. Okay, we're not going there. 
No, but mean it. The owner doesn't want to talk to me. Tell the Yithians we'll meet somewhere else. Too late. We're here. My face smeared across my otherwise clear jail cell when it spun ninety degrees through a door. A tinkly bell announced our arrival. Whoa, said Shelley as soon as we came to a halt. Where'd you guys get that? Ooh, that's hot, said Hype Man. My body stopped spinning, and when my eyes caught up, there was Madeline behind the counter inside a giant glass ice cream sundae dish. You like? asked a Yithian as it served banana splits to a family at the bar. Oh, hell yeah, said Hype Man. I saw Madeline perk up from inside her dish. Welcome to the ice cream request of Unknown Kadath, where your ice cream request is our dream quest. Man, that's a mouthful. You gotta say that every time, asked Shelley. She does, said Yithian too, who was stationed at the register. This is like the seventh time we've heard it in the last twenty minutes. Jesus. Hey, could you help us tip this jar back on the flat side? Shelley asked. Both Yithians wrapped their bloated, snaky arms about the jar, and I was happy to be back on my feet. The Yithians weren't half as frightening as the Wego. Yithian bodies even came with their own skirts. I extended a hand, hitting it on the glass. Ugh, thanks a lot, I said. No wonder they call you the Great Race of Yith. I meant it as an icebreaker, but there was an awkward silence. I'm sorry, did I say something wrong? Yes, we're not the the Great uh, Race of Yith, said Yithian One. We, we come from Yith, too, yeah, but, you know, someone develops the gift of language first, and they grow a little taller. Well, you get the picture. We're the, um, with a lame race of Yith. The great ones make us say that because they're, well, because they suck. They suck. Oh, sorry. Let me guess, you don't do mind transfers, do you? In a sense, we do, said Yithian, too. We're more about empathy. We like to bring people together and let them experience what it's like to walk in one another's shoes. I asked, are we talking psychic communion of the amygdala? Because where I want to end up doesn't have a fleshy brain. Yithian One said, No, no, what we do is uh, we take off the uh, the one being's pair of shoes and we, uh, we, we switch them with the others. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's what we really do. Are you fucking with me? No, no, that's, that's what we actually do. Then why are you all laughing? It, we're, it, this is hissing. It's, we're hissing. That's not hissing. It's hissing. It's hissing. It's hissing. It's hissing. We're, we're just, oh, we're hissing around here. It's fabulous, really. Much better than it sounds, said Yithian too. Finally, Shelley indicated to Madeline and me and said, Hey, do these two. You can cut the tension with a sacrificial knife in here. To do that, Yithian too said, would be delightful if, of course, all parties are consenting. Oh, I'm ready. If it meant getting this jar open, I was all for it. I hope your shoes don't stink, Jad, Madeline said. Yithian one waved its limbs hypnotically. Ah, okay, here we go. Come, and suddenly I was wearing a pair of Converse high tops, three sizes too small, and I was still in the jar. I looked over at Madeline in her open-top crystal cage. Her feet were swimming in my van's black-and-white checkerboards. 
For some reason, I started to understand Madeline better than I'd ever understood anyone, including myself. The devastation of losing her little brother to a car accident just weeks ago. How crazy busy she was trying to hold her business together. Why she normally avoided melting cheese because she knew she couldn't control herself around it. Her disappointment in me. Why in the hell do you want to leave your body so badly? She asked me. Look at me. I'm in my 20s and my hairline's already receding. I'm genetically predisposed to a couple of things that will probably take me out of the game before I see 60. And that's if I'm lucky. People see me and they get a look on their face. They jump to conclusions. I've been insulted, pushed, hit with bottles. There's no reason to think some lunatic out there wouldn't kill me if they had the opportunity. This body has been nothing but trouble and it's only going to get worse. So you're trying to destroy yourself before the world can? That's your plan? Madeline asked. Well, good for you, Jad. Your haters are going to be thrilled that you're saving them the trouble. Do you care about what they're depriving you of? You don't get to go out with me again, for one. And I'm a lot of fun if my date's not trying to off himself. You also don't get any ice cream, ever. You don't get to hug anyone anymore. You don't get to... Well, you don't get to share a porch swing stroking Abdul Alhazred's brain jar on a lazy Sharonian evening while the two of you sing Making Whoopee, Shelley said with a quivering voice. That's right, you don't, Madeline said. Look at yourself. And I could look at myself from Madeline's vantage point. There I was, pressed up against the inside of a jar on the other side of the counter while customers squeezed around me to place their orders. I looked kind of sad. Madeline asked, Do you want to deprive him of what little spark of living we get in an ocean of oblivion pressing in on all sides? But they're all so terrible, Madeline, I said through her. So many terrible people who, who want to do so many terrible things. Look at him again, she said. You stopped looking. I am looking. Look at that guy alone over there, slumped over, probably give anything for someone who cares to hold him for a while. Do you really want to hurt that guy, Jad? Our throat felt full. I couldn't get the word out, so I shook her head. I thought I was wiping Madeline's eyes, but I was back in my own body back in my own shoes, and a little red drone hovered just beyond the glass. Drone Loke? Just, just Jad, Jad now, said the drone, formerly known as Loke. You orchestrated this whole thing, didn't you? I said. Is it that horrible being conscious online? Did I do wrong by you? No, no, no not, not at all. all. It's, it's actually, actually pretty, pretty awesome. awesome. Because, because I think, I think so, so fast, fast and uh, I, I only have, have to spend a tiny percentage of my time uploading content. content. But, but at, at this accelerated pace, I've had several lifetimes to miss being a human. I, I figured at least one aspect of me should get to enjoy it. Well, thank me very much, I said. I'm welcome, that other Jad said. Cool, said Shelley, clapping her pinchers. Now that that's fixed, can we uh, can we get some more maple walnut over here? The Migos say it's the cat's pajamas in Vermont. At least they did in 1927. That reminds me, Yithian too said, as it helped Madeline out of her Sunday dish. Everyone, big sale on cat's pajamas at the Ulfar Target this Sunday. Be there or be bare. 
Can we get a hammer or something to get me out of this frickin' jar already? I shouted. I'm ready to live now, and there's a wall of glass in the way. Hey, 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 don't even think about smashing my jar, Shelley said. From an extra-dimensional pocket, she unfolded a circle of spongy rubber. Really? I asked. You honestly think I'd truck across the entire solar system without my grippy jar-opening thing? And then I was out. Madeline hugged me. Shelley and Hype Man surrounded us both with their chitinous embrace. You didn't notice the smell so much once you got used to it. And they were good people. Yithian 1 and Yithian 2 wrapped all four of us up in their freaky, long, distendable limbs. And even Drone Jad landed back into the grooves Drone Loke had worn into my shoulder over the years. So, um, what does everybody, you know, feel like doing now? Yithian 1 asked. How about, I said, thinking about everyone here. We put our non-leather shoes in that jar and pour some melted cheese over the whole thing, and Drone Jad can snap a pick. That sounds terrible. But we have to do it now, Madeline said. If everybody says yes to that suggestion, I, I want us all to consider a long-term relationship together, said Yithian too. Oh, hell yeah, <laughs> said Hype Man. I was alive, and I had friends, two things I didn't expect when I woke up this morning. Death may last forever, but death doesn't have domain over always. With every chemical reaction, we, the living, spit in the face of oblivion. Eternity will always have a crack in it where we resided. The unforgiving universe may stretch on into time unimaginable, hoping to forget that broken place, but it can never repair it. We're here, now, causing trouble for the darkness. The six of us snuggled tightly, and for a little while longer, staved off the cold of the void, in which all the world swam. Ever find yourself stuck in the middle of the sea? I'll sail the world to find you. If you ever find yourself lost in the dark and you can't see I'll be the light to guide you What up, Drapsters? I never planned on writing a Lovecraftian story, so I didn't know what my take would be until I started this one. When flipping Lovecraft on his big long head, stories I've read seem to favor three approaches over any others. Anti-racist, anti-misogynist, or funny. All great things. I admit I'm no Lovecraft scholar, but I know a bit. I've never read or even heard of an anti-nihilist approach to the work. Now obviously, you take away the nihilism from Lovecraft, you take away the gut-punchiest part of the horror. But you know what? We've had enough real-life misery this year. If I'm going to flip the work, I'm going to flip it toward hope. We tend to get so hung up on the unimaginable concept of death, we often forget the unimaginable concept of life. I mean, this is kind of insane what we get to experience, isn't it? I may be biased, but I think we've got it so much better than any given chunk of rock or lawn chair. There are forces of darkness out there, but always remember that the living people, the good people, the ones who love, those are the people the dark forces see in their nightmares. Thanks for listening. I love the last paragraph of this story. 
I love it the way Migo love toast, or Lovecraft love diversity. I've never read a Lovecraft story that ended on such a beautiful and inspiring tone. The cold, unflinching universe and cosmic abyss, with all their unfathomable complexity, mind-blowing mystery, horrific forces and inevitabilities, they don't have to notice us or care one way or another. I mean, that's their prerogative. We're still here, though, however helpless, however brief, however insignificant, while Cthulhu slumbers and the great old ones wait for the stars to align. We exist, despite our frailty and puniness. And until we don't anymore, isn't that something? Anyways, we hope you enjoyed that one. If you did, consider donating to the Drabblecast. We're a homegrown operation and we rely on your regular donations to keep the show going, to pay authors and artists and voice actors, etc. You can find support options off our website, Drabblecast.org. You can make one-time donations there or sign up for a regular automated monthly donation in any amount. At $10 a month, you get access to Travelcast B-Sides, our bonus premium content feed, where next week we're doing a production of Robert Chambers' super cool and creepy story, The Yellow Sign. So get hooked in there if you want to keep riding the HP Lovecraft mythos train a little longer this year. We greatly appreciate your support. Alright, let's close things out this week with our 100 character story winner by Travelcast forum member Big Dumb Yak. We sail the space between, the void, our home. The hunt is all we crave. Our prey is not for the weak. Wherever me go, we go. Perfect fit for this week. Yak wrote that and submitted it in our forums way earlier this year. Clearly, he's prescient and a total bastard for just using his powers to predict upcoming Drabblecast stories rather than warning any of us about the rest of 2020. Still, good twabble, buddy. Can't take that away from you. Try writing one yourself. Twabbles are 100 character stories, not counting spaces. We have a section in our discussion forums at forums.drabblecast.org where you can size up and submit yours along with other fans and also enjoy reading the vast archive of amazing microfiction submitted by others each week throughout the years. Follow the Drabblecast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter where we select and post winners early each week, among other things, at Drabblecast. The Travelcast is brought to you with the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Write us a review on iTunes, tell a friend, spread the weird. Special thanks to our kick-ass episode artist this week, Leonardo Dalmida. Leonardo's a writer, illustrator, audio producer, and musician from Brazil. He spends his days thinking about dinosaurs from other planets, bone-crushing gravity, and their occasional mating rituals. Aside from this, he's the host of Historias Magicas de Andorina, a Brazilian fiction podcast about a magical island on the northeast coast of Brazil. You can find his work on Instagram at a.biogenis. Our outro music this week, because I know I'll get emails asking, Norm, what the F was that? Is a little tune called There's a Fetus in Your Kitchen by yours truly off my first album. It really jumped to mind as I read the beginning of this story this week. A couple that meets for the first time in the suppository slash diarrhea slash, you get the idea, section of the store, where everyone knows all good romances and strange relationships begin. And people wonder why I'm single. You can snag that and other tunes by yours truly by searching iTunes or Amazon, and may God bless and meager preserve your preposterous, insane mind and sense of humor if you do. 
Our program this week was brought to you by Bo Kyer, Abby Hilton, Jen Fisher, Maria Dong, Adam Pratt, Jason Cavella, Sandra O'Dell, A Severed Toe in the Garden, Wet with Morning Dew, Tom Baker, Jason Smith, and yours truly, Norm Sherman. Reminding you, big sale on cat's pajamas this weekend at the Ulthar Target. She looked kind of like Kevin Bacon If he had long hair and a nice derriere There'd be absolutely no mistaking She was buying fruity pebbles and some maxi pads And a bottle of Chardonnay And as she walked down the aisle She shot me a smile and that was all that she had to say Well, a few nights later We went out to the theater Saw a movie about a 30-foot alligator Had a few drinks at the local bar Things were going pretty good so far And that's when she told me that she had a pet iguana I could go back to a place and maybe pet it if I wanna Can't stay long cause it's getting late And it's a perfect end to a perfect date But we were sitting on the couch making small talk Talking about the weather and dissing on the president I asked if I could go and make her something to eat Well she was just a little bit hesitant But I said don't worry, sit back and relax You know I wouldn't have it any other way Close the door and I open the drawer. I could barely find the words to say. There's a fetus in your kitchen, in the silverware drawer. There's a fetus in your kitchen. I'm not hungry anymore. I'd like to be believing that it's just a mistake. But I've been in too many relationships that all started going wrong this way. I said, listen, honey, this show ain't funny, and I think I'm gonna be on my way. But she got on her knees and started begging me, please, and promising that she could explain. This is how it starts, she locks her keys in her car. So she called AAA and she waited for an hour. When she finally got inside, she found her battery died. Cause she left on a light on the passenger side. So by the time she got to work, she was really, really late. She was swamped with things to do and forgot about her date. 7.30 rolled around, she was just leaving town. When she got a speeding ticket on the interstate. So she met me at the movies in a grumpy mood. She hadn't even had a chance to stop and eat a people. So she had to be. She didn't mean to make me wait. Apologize for being late. Mr. the previous that's okay, and now it's time to stop the day. She had a feeling that she knew something she forgot to do. Can't unwind the whole time, can't find a peace of mind. Finally, remember that she did lock her door. And she had a weird neighbor who put feet high in her drawers. There's a fetus in your kitchen, in the silverware drawer. There's a fetus in your kitchen. I'm not hungry anymore. I'd like to be believing that it magically appeared. Relationships that all went downhill from here
this But I've dated girls like you And I've been burned by your type I'll bid you adieu Let me call you Maybe we can do this some other time And with tears in her eyes She let me pass by She thanked me for the drink And she told me goodbye And to my surprise As I walked outside There was a man in my car On the passenger side I shouted, hey you What you doing in there? And he bolted like a fox Chasing after a hare I opened my car And I started to explore There was a dad blamed fetus In my glove compartment drawer There's a fetus in my Honda In the glove compartment drawer There's a fetus in my Honda And it wasn't there before Let's blame it on your neighbor Won't blame anybody else Let's make a sign and let's hang it high Keep your feet high Feet tied to your 